the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Luke is a collection of eyewitness testimonies that speak of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was written so that we would know we have a reliable faith. Many people followed Jesus after seeing the miracles he performed and his treatment towards the religious elites of the day. But people left when Jesus called his disciples to live solely for God, giving up all other causes. The scribes and Pharisees hated him and wanted him dead. Jesus warned the people of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He warned the people not to be afraid of them, but rather they were to fear God. A man seeking a portion of his brother's inheritance came to Jesus. Jesus taught a parable of a man that built up his material wealth for himself, but did not know that he would be dying that night. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 12, verse 21. And so it says, verse 21, So is he. In other words, you're like this rich man if you lay up treasure for yourself and you're not rich toward God. So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. To be rich there, it means to acquire a great amount of something. And it's a present participle, which means this should be something that we're pursuing. This should be our constant pursuit, is to be rich toward God, to acquire a great amount of God in our lives. That's what we should be doing. And if we aren't doing that, and we're just laying up treasure for ourselves here, then we're like this foolish rich man. What is interesting is it wasn't wrong for this man to be rich. Jesus never condemns that. Nor was it wrong for him to put away supplies for the future. There was no critique there. The problem was that this rich man didn't guard against covetousness. And because he didn't guard against covetousness, he ended up with an incorrect view of life that led him to value possessions most and to invest his life into safeguarding those things, which led to really not living at all because he died that night. If you went out and asked a hundred different people if they'd take a life where they could say what this man said in verse 19, I have everything I need, I don't need to work, I eat, drink, and be merry. If you could say, is that the type of life you'd like to have? Is, is that life? I dare say many of them would say, I could stop working. I could eat whatever I want, whenever, enjoy whatever I want, whenever I want. Man, that would be living. That would be living. But is that living? Sadly, I think many don't want to hear that question because it's not usually about being rich like this guy is. It's usually about something else I've made my life about. If God doesn't want me to experience my definition of happiness then I don't need God. That's why Jesus said we need to guard against covetousness. If we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says some very heavy things when he talks about covetousness. 
He says in verse 9, but they that will be rich, they fall into temptation and a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. You're going to end up in trouble. It it looks good. I mean, you know, it's funny, you know, when you're trying to catch something, you know, you put out things that it will want. You put out things that will make it come close. Put out things that will lower its inhibitions and make it not think correctly about its own safety. And that's what the pursuit of things are. It's a trap that lures you, lowers your inhibitions that would normally say, not a good idea. And you end up the trap snapping on you. And as a result, you fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts. You begin to desire things that are not wise to desire. You begin to desire things that hurt yourself and others. And they drown you in destruction and perdition. When you covet after those things, you, err, you can err from the faith. It will, that's where the trap is. You can end up going astray from what the faith says and end up with lots of sadness. You read that, and I mean, that's like a big warning sign. You know, when we were over in Israel, they, they have these uh, fences up by the Lebanon border where, because of the war that occurred there about 15 years ago, there were landmines all over the place. And so they have all these signs, do not go walking around in there. Because we haven't been able to, because of the, air, the danger of the area, because Lebanon's right there still, or Hezbollah, we can't get these things out, so just don't go in there. That's what this warning's like. There are landmines all over the place. And may you maybe walk a little bit without stepping on one? Yeah, maybe. But eventually, it ends in sadness. And eventually, you get caught in the trap. So this is why Jesus said we need to guard against covetousness. Be a heavy guard against covetousness. Because it ends in sadness. And so, you know, I ask you this morning... You know, have you maybe stopped investing into your marriage because your spouse isn't making you happy? You know, maybe maybe it's not riches that you're after, but it's just some other characteristic that you're looking for from other things, whether they be people or possessions or uh, things that you could purchase. Have you stopped investing into your marriage because your spouse isn't making you happy? Or have you stopped investing into your coworkers because your job isn't making you happy? We don't find real living from any of those things. Now, Jesus, he says all this to the crowds, but in verse 22, he now turns to the disciples to remind them where their treasure needs to be lest they become like the crowd. And so beginning in verse 22, Jesus teaches his disciples seven things they need to understand if they're going to avoid covetousness. He says, number one, they need to not worry about their needs. He says, therefore, I say unto you, therefore, in other words, so you don't become like that foolish man. He says, so is he. He says, therefore, I don't want you to become like he. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. For the life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. The word there, phrase there, take no thought, it means to have anxious concerns about what you'll eat and about what you'll wear. Listen, I get it. Even though living is more than these things, we need food and we need clothing. While that's true, I don't need to be anxiously concerned about them. Do you see the difference? Knowing you have a need is different than being anxiously concerned about them. God knows what you need. He made you. He knows what what it takes to survive. And not only that, he loves you. So like the rest of creation, you and I, we must trust him, which is the second point he wants to teach. Number one, don't worry about your needs. Number two, you need to understand God's care. Verse 24 says, consider the ravens. The word consider there, it's a command from Jesus. So no one's leaving here until we do it. 
It means to give careful consideration to something so that you can understand its significance. We need to ponder the ravens until we get it. Otherwise, we'll be tempted to worry. So again, no one's leaving until we all understand it. Consider the ravens. Why? For they neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouses nor barn. And God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls, the birds? What's the point? The word they're better than, it means to be more valuable than, to be worth more to someone than them. God cares for all of his creation, but human beings have greater value to God. Now, that's not to diminish animals or to excuse cruelty to them. That's not the point. The point is, if God, it emphasizes that if God provides food for them and he cares for them, but he cares more for us, then how much more will he provide for our needs? We need to understand and know that we need to not worry about our needs, but we need to understand that God cares for us and he will take care of us. He cares for us and he will take care of us. So you and I, we don't need to worry. In fact, what does worrying help the situation? It doesn't, verse 25. And which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If you then be not able to do that thing which is least, why do you take thought for the rest? I have to confess to to you guys that I always had a strong disagreement with God on this one. Seriously. He would say, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? I'm thinking, okay, I get that. Well, if you can't do that, which is least, you know, the smallest of things, time out here. Adding to my stature, I would not count that as the smallest of things on my list for the day. I mean, going on a rack where they stretch me out, you know, and maybe get me like, a, like, a, like an eighth of an inch, you know, after I'm done with all the pain it comes through does not sound like an easy task. So I would read this and I would get confused and I would say, Lord, it doesn't make sense. That's not a small thing. That's a big thing to try to increase my height. I don't think I can do it. The reason is I had a problem with this because I didn't understand it. Most linguists believe that this should be translated one hour to his life one hour to his life. So the idea here, which of you with taking thought, which of you with anxious worry can add one hour to his life? If you then be not able to do that thing which is least. So the idea here is that adding one hour to your life is a small thing, and that is true. There are many ways to care for your body so that you can add more than an hour to your life. You can add much more. You can add many hours to your life. You can exercise better. You can eat better. You can go see Dr. John. You can do all sorts of things that will be helpful to you. But worry isn't one of those things. In fact, worry will actually subtract hours from your life because of the trauma that stress places on the body. So there are many little things you could do to add an hour to your life but worry isn't one of them. So if worry can't help in that easy task that you and any of us could add some time to our lives by taking better care of ourselves, if worry can't help in that easy task, then why would you and I expect it to help us in other areas? It can't, which shows the third lesson that Jesus is trying to teach them. Not only do we not need to worry, not only do we need to understand God's care for us, but we need to understand that worry is the other side of covetousness. Worry is simply the other side of covetousness because both of those things, worry and covetousness, lay hold of the lie that life is about possessing things. Both of them do as they just come at it from different angles. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, fine, all right, Pastor Rell, I'll trust God to meet my needs and live a dull, miserable life. Thank you for this Sunday. (laughs) 
If you're thinking that, I understand, but you're missing the point. God loves you. You know, he wants to bless you. It's not about just trusting God for survival. That's not what life is about. It's trusting that I will find fulfillment, that I'll find real life in trusting him. And that's the fourth thing he's trying to teach them, that God can do better than we can. Look at verse 27. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. So again, we have to understand something until we get it. We gotta ponder on it, think about it until we get it deep into our hearts. And what is it? We need to consider, think about the lilies. Those are uncultivated flowers out in the wild. How they grow, by what means they grow. How do wildflowers grow? I mean, there is like, there is no job out there, go water wildflowers, right? Nothing like that. I mean, there may be somebody does it every once in a while. I might question their sanity, but maybe they're out there watering the wildflowers. But most of us, you know, you have cultivated flowers and you have the wildflowers. And, you know, people will go out and they'll photograph the wildflowers, probably much more than they go and photograph your flowers. Why is that? Because God does something that none of us can do, makes something so beautiful. So much so that the Lord says, they toil not, they don't spin, and yet I say to you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of those. Solomon, at the height of his power, is what that all of his glory means, at the height of his greatness, was not clothed like they are. Now, Solomon was the wealthiest human being who ever lived. He was also uh, one of the most depressed people who ever lived. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, the emo book in the Bible, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's not worth living. But he concludes that because he's tried everything. He had the greatest abundance of possessions to pull out of to try to find whatever characteristic it was he was looking for. Whatever he was trying to find his life to consist of, he had all the resources and he sure enough pulled from them. And every time he said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's worthless. I'm miserable. It's estimated that Solomon earned $1.1 billion dollars just in gold each year. That doesn't include other forms of tribute. He had unlimited amount of supply to pull from. But what's interesting is while some of that was from the Lord, the Lord said he'd bless him, much of it was gained through treaties with other nations, treaties that made him violate God's commands. So much of it was self-gotten. What about the wildflowers? Nothing's self-gotten. They don't toil, they don't spin but they're clothed by God alone and they're far more beautiful than anything Solomon ever wore. Now, if then, verse 28, God so clothes the grass, if that's how he takes care of the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow you use it for baking fuel, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Because that's where it's at. Well, fine, I'll just, you know, I'll, just, you know, I'll just be miserable, not have anything. Be, with food and clothing, I'll be content, like Paul says. You know? that, that's, that's a very little amount of faith because it doesn't understand how much better God can do for us than we can do for us and how much better he wants to do for us than we want to do for us. See, covetousness causes us to question God's love we question God's love, we question his revealed truth, which erodes our faith in him and clouds our focus on what life is really about. It's about knowing him, being close to him, about resting in his love. 
Now, if we're going to do that, we must reject the idea that life is about possessions. And that's the fifth thing that Jesus is telling his disciples. We need to reject the notion that life is about possessions. Verse 29. And seek not ye that what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be of a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. The phrase there, seek not, it literally means stop seeking these things. Stop trying to find these things. Stop looking for what you shall eat, what you shall drink. Neither be of a doubtful mind. Stop being of a doubtful mind. It means to be up in the air, hovering between hope and fear. It means to be restless, anxious, worried. He says, reject covetousness. That's how the nations of the world do it. He says, reject worry because God knows you need these things. He loves you. He knows what you need. Reject this notion that life is about what you have. But instead, number six, Jesus wants to teach them to pursue knowing God in his ways first. He says in verse 31, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, when we talk about seeking the kingdom of God, what does that even mean? I mean, it's a phrase, you know, we say all the time, you know, and we quote that scripture all the time, usually from Matthew, not Luke. But what does it mean to seek God's kingdom? Well, you can't have a kingdom without a king, right? So it's part of seeking God's kingdom is seeking the king. It's seeking God. It's seeking to know him. But you also can't have a kingdom without principles, rules, what, what con- the kingdom consists of. So not only does it refer to knowing him, but it refers to his way of doing things. That needs to be our number one priority, knowing him and his way of doing things. And when I am successful in that, and I'm seeking to know him, seeking to know his way of doing things, he says that he will add all these things to you. The word there, add, it means he'll provide all these things for you, all of our needs. Now, you might be doing the calculations in your mind, you're going, wait a second, Will, so what if I'm not successful in doing that? You know, I fail so often in following the Lord, does that mean God's gonna get me or punish me or withhold provision from me? That's why Jesus gives verse 32. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, I like that phrase, little flock. <laughs> it, like, like a big flock would be like threatening anyway, you know? You'd be like, oh no, a bunch of sheep. But we're not even that. We're not even the terrifying menace of a bunch of sheep running around, not knowing where they're going. We're a little flock. We're weak. You know, in Psalm, I think it's 103, Psalm 103, you can read the whole psalm on your own time, but it says that the Lord knows our frame, that we're simply dust. And he pities us like a father pities his children. God knows our frame. He is patient. He is gracious. He is merciful. It's his good pleasure. It's what he wants to do. His desire, he enjoys giving us the kingdom. See, God is far more willing to give you himself and to teach you his ways than you are to find them. He knows our weaknesses. That's why Jesus did what he did for us on the cross so it would be finished. So just keep seeking him. Keep seeking his way of doing things. And even when you fail, keep the right thing in priority. Don't be afraid. He'll give you the kingdom. And lastly, his exhortation, number seven, is to store up heavenly treasure instead of earthly treasure. He says, sell what you have, give alms, 
Provide yourselves bags which do not wax old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief can approach, neither moth corrupt. Why? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't let covetousness or worry rule your life. Instead, invest your life into storing up things that do last forever. So then what lasts forever? People. People last forever. My relationship with God, that lasts forever. Invest in those things. Because what we invest in shows what's most important to us. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I invest into possessions in this life, then my heart will go with it. And I'll adopt the mindset of the rich man of this parable, you know, where I will be a fool and I will fall into foolish and hurtful lusts. I will be drowned in, you know, destruction and perdition because of the deceitfulness, the trap of covetousness. If I invest into eternal things, my relationship with God, other people, then I'll have a right view of life. And like verse 21 tells us, I'll be rich toward God. That's what this man who made his complaint was missing. He was covetousness. He wasn't rich toward God. And so Jesus exhorts his disciples at the end. He says, he says, don't be worried about your needs. Understand God's care. Know that worry is the other side of covetousness. Know that God can do better than we can. Reject the notion that life is about possessions. Pursue knowing God in his ways and store up heavenly treasure. And when you do that, your heart will be in the right place. You'll have a right view of life and you'll be rich toward God. Amen? So where's your treasure this morning? You say, how do I know? Well, you can identify it by where your heart is. What do you want most? Are you pursuing possessions here? Or are you constantly worried about your possessions here? Are you constantly chasing happiness or belonging or one of the other things that I mentioned or didn't mention? If any of those are true, what better time than celebrating the Lord's Supper to fix it, right? When we hold the bread that represents the fact that he stepped out of heaven and into our world to die for our sins, and then we hold the cup and, and we meditate on the fact that his, sin, his, his death on the cross has washed us entirely of our sins, what better time to fix our hearts and to put our treasure in the right place than when we remember what Jesus did, to remember God's love and how he proved it on the cross, and to recommit ourselves to treasuring him above everything else. Now, if your heart is in the right place, your treasure is in the right place, then you know, if your view of life is correct, then it's still a great reason to celebrate afresh the one that we treasure, right? This is a special time. But maybe you're here today and Jesus isn't your treasure. May I ask you a question before we celebrate this supper together? How's the other treasure working out for you? whatever it might be, the thing you're chasing or pursuing and not Jesus, how's it working out for you? I mean, even if you say it's good now, I mean, even if you could say it would satisfy you for the rest of your life, although I think there are very few people who've lived who could ever even claim they had the resources to say that. Even if you could, I guarantee you someone else will get it when you're gone. I guarantee you, you won't take any of it with you. So what will you do then? Because you'll have no treasure. Why not make Jesus your treasure instead? Because then you never lose it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you told the parable of the man who went into a field and he found a treasure in the field and so he purchased the whole field so he could get the treasure. Lord, you said that treasure was us. You purchased the whole world 
even though you knew that someone would reject you, Lord, that you might redeem us. And you gave up everything for it, Lord. You gave up everything for it. You, who had heaven, perfection, everything being done the way it's supposed to be done, and you stepped into our world to live amongst our sin, to teach us of your ways, and then to die so we wouldn't have to, that we might be forgiven. Lord, we thank you for that great love, that you're the example of putting the treasure in the right place in eternal things. So Lord, this morning as we remember what you did for us in stepping into our world and going to the cross, and we celebrate that, Lord. We want to make you our treasure. We want to make other people our treasure, Lord, giving our lives away that we might have eternal treasure that never fades. So, Lord, we commit that to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God is in control of our every situation and need. It may not feel like it at times, but God sees our problems. He hears our cries for help, and he provides us with what we need. We must trust him. Even when we are in circumstances of our choosing, God's mercy is bigger than our ability to mess up. He is not looking to leave you ruined. He wants you to draw in close and see his amazing splendor. If you have any spiritual needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.